it's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Right, welcome back to the Kick to Kick podcast. Charlie, it's you and I here. Again. 1981, part two. Halfway through 1981. Indeed. Um, so just to reassure you, Charlie, we're going to get to the new coaches. We'll get to the Baby Bombers amazing streak. We'll get to the helicopter arrival. Lots to talk about. The helicopter arrival. And we will, as we said last week, we will get to Sydney, yep. but not Next today either. Yes. Next episode will be the Sydney Swans, ex- uh, the South Melbourne Sydney Swans extravaganza. The South Knee Swans. Yes. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All um, about it. Yeah, but let's get stuck into. All right. Well, let's let's go over what we did uh, last week first, shall we? Absolutely. So, bottom of the ladder, we had Melbourne, eleventh uh, Footscray, tenth St Kilda, ninth South Melbourne, eighth North Melbourne, seventh uh, Richmond, and sixth, just missing out on finals, was Hawthorne. So that takes us up to our first finalist. And Timothy, it's the men's team, <laughs> which we haven't heard in a while. No, a long time. The Gorillas? Yeah. No, okay. The Maroons? The Maroons. Fitzroy. The Lions Maroons. there with 14 wins and eight losses. Uh, captain by Gary Wilson and coached by Robert Walls. Indeed, Robert Walls' first year as coach. Yeah. Um, now, don't forget, Charlie, we are going to talk about these footy favourite singers. Yes. Have you, have you been having a listen? I haven't. Oh, they're horrendous. Yeah, that's why. I made the call in my mind that they were going to be, and I decided to stay away. Oh, I, I like it for the fact that it's like it encapsulates that time. Yeah, it, yeah. like the music and the, the photos and everything, and, and I'd love them to do it again, just kind of for that time capsule yeah. aspect. Every ten years, they should do it. And there's something more charming about the fact that they're terrible. Like if they were really good, you'd be kind of like, oh well, yeah. yeah. What's the point? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just a karaoke album. Yeah. Yeah. So Fitzroy's singer was Laurie Serafini with Hard Rock Cafe written by Carol King. Nice. Debutants for Fitzroy include Graham Hincham, Lee Murname, Matt Rendell and Scotty Clayton, who are both big off field still. Um, plus they got John Casson from Essendon North Melbourne, Lee Carlson and Des Herbert from Collingwood, Peter Francis from Carlton and Terry O'Neill from South. Lots going on. Um, head of the new incoming committee, Leo, Leon Weigard, said in, a, in September 1980 the club would pick uh, Bill Stevens' replacement from a field that included Alan Jeans, Norm Brown and Robert Walls. But as we know, Alan Jeans got the job at Hawthorne, so yep. Walls got the nod. At the Lions and soon established himself as a pioneer of modern football tactics. Yeah, and we, um, was it with was the interview with Balls in the uh, the year that was the season that was 1993 talking about when he went up to Brisbane? Oh, to, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, that's way yeah, it's way later. Of course mm. it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, round two was their first win. The strong play of Lions captain Bernie Quinlan, David McMahon and Mickey Conlon were too much for the Demons. Not even Barassi. Skills with the Magnets could save the Ds going down by 45 points there. Um, in round four was their next win. The Lions had to play without Gary Wilson, who was knocked out by the Swans' Graham Teasdale. Um, Wilson said, I was just running for the ball, head down, and he, Teasdale, bashed me. I was sick for weeks. Uh, but his loss inspired his teammates, and they kicked six goals in the second quarter to take control of the game. Quinlan was also very prominent in a 69-point win. 
Round five, they gave their bom- the Bombers their third successive defeat with a 21-point win. Round seven, the Lions were behind the eight ball after the Tigers got rolling early and led by as much as 28 points. But the Lions came back in the second half. A new team, Bernie Quinlan, was the hero for them, kicking four second-half goals to help them to a four-point victory. Round 10 was a victory for the Lions over the Dogs by 77 points. The highlight being Harvey Merrigan, who kicked five goals. This is a highlight because Harvey Merrigan was generally known as a fullback. Oh, really? Yeah, he um, he actually had stints on the sidelines for uh, very some severe injuries, and he actually temporarily retired. Um, but he was reinvented now as a forward, and yeah, five goals against the doggies. Come on, nice. Round 12, um, they took on the, the demons against the MCG, and the Lions were incredibly inaccurate. They kicked 17-32, but still won by 44 points. Yeah. Round 13 against Carlton, the Lions established a handy break during a sparkling 24-goal first half between the two teams. It became a more dour affair after half-time, but despite the efforts of the resurgent Wayne Johnson, the Blues were unable to bridge the gap. Chris Smith, best for the Lions in a 25-point win. Round 14, they spoiled Barry Round's 250th match, beating the South Melbourne Swans in the mud at Lakeside Oval. 23-point victory there. Around this time, after refusing for almost a year, the Lions relented to clear... Frank Marchesani right on the deadline for mid-season clearances. And he became a Blues player in exchange for the Carlton player Peter Francis, who was a popular premiership winner. Yeah. Uh, round 16, the Lions had another solid win, this time against the woefully out-of-form North Melbourne. Quinlan best of field with, four, with five goals. Round 17, the Lions started poorly against the Tigers and were 43 points down at the 23-minute mark of the first quarter. Um... They failed to register a goal, and as you can imagine, Robert Walls was furious. Yep. The response, however, was astounding. They booted eight goals to two to be right in the contest at halftime. The inspiration was Ron Alexander and David McMahon in the middle, the later kicking the match winner with under three minutes left as the Lions won by a point. And understandably, they were given a standing ovation as they left the field. Yeah, great comeback. Round 18, the Hawks went down to the Lions in a win-affected junction over match by 12 points. Round 19 was a loss to the Cats, and this dented their finals aspirations. They're kind of clinging on to that fifth spot, but in a bit of a... Yeah, well, there's, a, there's not much between Fitzroy, Hawthorne and Richmond at this stage. Yeah, really. so really fighting it out with them. Round 20, they easily beat the Dogs by 61 at Witten Oval. Conlon with six and, Pon- and uh, Poynton with four saw the Lions stay in touch with the top five. Uh, they kept their final spark alive the next week with a 38-point win over the Saints. A, second big, a big second half setting it up. And round 22, they took on the old enemy Collingwood at Victoria Park. And they battled in a literal sea of mud. Uh, Black also was the mood of the home crowd, though, as Mm. Fitzroy held the Magpies to an incredible zero goals, two points at halftime. Their worst ever halftime score. And one goal, three in the first three quarters. And this is, I mean, they, they must be sitting first or second on the ladder at this stage. Yeah. Um, Collingwood's final score of four goals nine was their lowest home score since 1968 when they scored two goals 19 against St Kilda. The hero for the Lions were ex-Pies, in fact, Carlson and Herbert, playing only their 13th and 5th games for the Lions, respectively, after crossing over. Uh, but for the, riot, for the Lions, their courageous performance at arguably the VFL's strongest fortress capped off a season of remarkable tenacity. It also demonstrated a steely defensive resolve among a playing group that had long been derided for playing petty, uh, pretty football. A pumped-up captain, Ron Alexander, gave an indication of the Lions' attitude in a snippet that we'll quickly hear post-match the, of the Collingwood game. We we'll rely on anybody else getting beaten to get into the five. We've done it on our own backs. And uh, if you can beat Collingwood at Collingwood... In the mud. In the mud. 
there. We're supposed to be a dry weather side. They're supposed to be the wet weather side. Keeping in mind it's the first time this year that Collingwood's been beaten here. I think if we can beat them here, we can certainly do well in the finals. Collingwood out here has been like a grand final for you this week, but nearly every match over the past month or so has been a grand final for Fitzroy. I think uh, it's nine out of 11 we've won now, and we could afford to drop one in about seven it was, and we dropped that one to Geelong, and everyone, as you say, has been a final, and we've lived up to the pressure pretty well. Well, you go into the uh, elimination final next week, a winning side, Essen and a losing side. Well, that's right. We, uh, we know what we can do. You've seen how we can play, and we intend to uh, play like that next week. Justin Ferris, leading Beautiful. goal kicker. Yeah, so our leading goal kicker down at um, Fitzroy this year was, of course, Bernie Quinlan with 73. And the Mitchell medal in 1981 went to Ron Alexander. Yeah. A couple of big names, taking it out, leading the boys from the front, as they say. Uh, so that takes us up to fourth spot on the ladder, where we have the Baby Bombers, Timmy. Uh, with 16 wins and six losses, captained by Simon Madden and coached by Kevin, Kevin Sheedy. Who is this young man, you oh, may ask? Look, we've been calling them the Baby Bombers for probably four seasons now. Yeah. And this is like, now you've added Sheedy to the mix and we know what happens from here. Yeah. Um, Essendon singer is Tim Watson. Playing the song, singing the song "Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town," uh, popularised by Kenny Rogers. <laughs> I wonder, is, is it their choice? These songs? It must be, surely, or at least um, some choice. In, in some respects, I guess they'd have to get the rights to the songs yeah, as well. Yeah, so maybe, maybe picked a good one from a list of yeah, available. Yeah, potentially. Interesting to get a bit of an insight into their, these tastes. I'd like, yeah. Um, all right, some debutants for Essendon include Kevin Walsh, Neville Fields was back from South Melbourne when they traded him for Terry Danaher. Yeah. They got him back for nothing. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yep. Uh, and Tony Bahaja, who's another recruit from WA. New coach Kevin Sheedy, um, he updated the players' rooms with fresh paint and new carpet. Smoking in the rooms was banned, and he, in terms of game style, he implemented a long kicking direct style of play. Round one, things were promising for Sheets. Um, they took on Geelong, who finished on top the previous year. And although they lost by six points, um, everyone sort of agreed they did really well. Uh, Bahaja was really good in his debut for the club. The very first win under Kevin Sheedy's tenure in the VFL was round two against North Melbourne. The hero was, again, Tony Bahaja with two goals and time on to clinch a two-goal win. One of these was a monster 70-metre torp. Um, however, they lose their next four games. So at, after the first six games, they were one win, five losses. And there was actually pressure on Sheedy to pull the boots back on, put the boots back on. Really? Yes. But from here, Charlie, things really amped up. Round seven at Windy Hill, they took on the Saints. Um, Saints had their measure early, but the Dons showed more class and pulled away from a much-needed victory to relieve the pressure on Kevin Sheedy. Not that it was a heap of pressure, but he needed to be changing things. Yeah, yeah. But round eight was the round that changed everything. It was a remarkable day at VFL Park. A record attendance of over 79,000 people turned up, exceeding the official capacity of the ground by several thousand. Collingwood at this stage were unbeaten, and they'd swept all challenges aside to date. They looked invincible, but what played out was an extraordinary display in which the S and the machine finally clicked into gear, dishing out a 57-point hammering to the pies. The prevailing joke at the time was that the crowd was so big, Collingwood must have thought it was a grand final. <laughs> um, get that, the truth was the Pies were given a masterclass by the Madden brothers. Justin dominated the ruck with 37 hit-outs. Simon, Simon Madden monstered the Pies' defence, kicking seven goals in a superb aerial display. Love it. And now the ball is rolling. Round nine, um, they took on the tenacious Demons and made the Bombers earn their 34-point win. 
but it was Watson and Bahaja who really got the bombers rolling. Round 10 in the Windy Hill Bog, the gates had to be shut at two because of the interest in the match. They were taking on Carlton. Carlton could only manage just one goal after halftime, so it was the Bombers' 35-point win, and they'd now knocked off the two top sides in the last three weeks and were suddenly the big talking point in the competition. Here they, where have they come from? Yeah, yeah. And this match is also the beginning of an extraordinary five-year sequence of wins by Sheedy's teams over Carlton. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <Round> smile <laughs> says it all. Uh, round 11 at Lakeside Oval was probably the last big crowd to attend the South Melbourne home game of 28,558. They saw a fluctuating contest, but the Bombers burst the game open in the third quarter. Uh, and this was the first occasion that three Danaher brothers appeared in one game, with Anthony playing for the Swans and Terry and Neil for the Bombers. Oh, yeah. Neil was the pick of the trio on the day, and the Bombers won by 28. Around 12, at a wind-affected Arden Street, the Bombers charged home with eight goals, nine in the final quarter. Uh, the inaccurate tally of 18 goals, 29 was the only indicator of tricky conditions as they won by 47 points. Round 13 against the Tigers. The age reported the, report of the match describes Richmond's second quarter burst as being a stunning return to their best 1980s football. Helped by some wayward kicking from goals for the home team, Richmond held the advantage in the third quarter and started the final term positively. An early shot at goal by Michael Roach, just 25 metres out, would have put the Tigers 32 points up. Yep. But he missed. Suddenly, their brilliant form evaporates, and inspired by some important positional moves, in particular Simon Madden into the ruck and Neil Danaher onto the ball, the Bombers charged home. They almost mucked it up with inaccurate kicking, 5-8 to 1-2, but they took the lead for the first time just before time on, only to see Jim Jesper gain it for the Tigers. In the end, it was Graham Schultz for the Dons, who was the hero, marking a loose ball and kicking the match-winning goal with two minutes to go. Round 14, the Hawks and the Bombers met at the packed, sun-drenched Gabba up in Brisbane. In dry conditions, it was an entertaining, high-scoring match. The Bombers making it eight straight in a close encounter. Um, Hawthorne got to within two points in the last quarter, but again, the two Maddens were proving too much. Um, Simon kicking seven, and Ron Andrews, Ronnie, rotten Ronnie Andrews, re- reported and suspended for four matches for striking Dipper. Oh, really? Or, or as he was called back then, Bertie Dippia Dominico. Bertie? Bertie. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Round 15, the Bombers made it nine on the trot with a 19-point win at the Junction Oval over the Lions. Round 16, they took their winning sequence to 12 and now look the biggest threat to the flag. Their win over Footscray was the biggest ever against the Dogs, 93 points. Round 17, they took on and smashed the Saints. Round 19, they had an easy 44-point win over the Demons. Neil Danaher, again, very prominent. Uh... Round 18, in the first Sunday match at the MCG between Essendon and Collingwood, a crowd double that of Windy Hill showed up, which means, you know, let's play all the big matches at the G where we can get the big crowd and yeah. all the money. Yeah, yep, yep. And they put on a top-quality game. Midway through the third quarter, the Pies led by 20 points, but only to tire badly, and they conceded the last six goals of the game. Uh, the Bombers kept their opponents in the contest until the last few minutes when late goals to Hawker and Schultz sealed the issue. The Bombers registering only their fifth win over Collingwood since 1970 and two wins in one season for the first time since 1966 against Collingwood. Um, They were now up to 12 straight wins, which was the best streak of wins since Melbourne's 19 in a row, 1955-1956. Round 20, in a massive game at Princes Park against the Blues, it was a close game for the first three quarters, and this is a very famous game, this match. Okay. In, t- in terms of Essendon's history. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was really close for the first three, but the Blues pulled away to a four-goal lead late in the game. But the Bombers weren't dead yet, Charlie. It began with a strong mark and goal from Roger Merritt and then Paul Vanderhaar, and the margin was back to a couple of goals, but time was racing 
Time was running out. The game races manically from end to end for a couple of minutes until Carlton skipper Mike Fitzpatrick takes a steadying defensive mark. He starts calming everyone down. He goes back slowly and purposely trying to settle things down. But he was wasting time. Mm-hmm. Umpire blew his whistle uh, and reversed the kick and gave it to the Bombers. Oh. Which I don't think is what the right... It should have, he should have balled it up. Yeah. Anyway, the Bombers actually wasted that opportunity. Hawker missed a shot on goal. Then Watson missed a shot on goal. But Essendon was still pushing. They're up to the 30-minute mark of the last quarter. Carlton's well-drilled defence gathers to spoil another S in the attack, but from the huge pack, Neil Danaher rises up and takes a huge grab, kicks an ensuing goal, less than a minute left. Five points of difference. From the restart, quick break for Hawker, who passes it to the leading Danaher, who's got away from Dual Danaher, takes it again. He goes back and kicks the winning goal. Bombers by a point. It's a remarkable comeback. Their first win at Princess Park since 1968. Neil! Yeah. Love it. So that, that's like the Neil Danaher game. I guess, yep. I guess you'd, like, you'd call it Danaher's game. That's probably. your highlights package right there. Yep. Unfortunately for him, it kind of all comes unstuck the next week. Round 21, Essendon absolutely obliterate South Melbourne. 111 points. Their 15th consecutive win. Um, the Bombers drew within 0.5% of Carlton on the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, but the consummate team performance is overshadowed by the early loss of Neil Danaher with a knee injury. Mm. So he was pushed attempting a quick kick. He slipped and felt a nasty clunk in his right knee. He thought, nah, I'll be right. He played on. Ten minutes later, he tried to change direction and the knee buckled underneath him. The effects of this would eventually end his career. Oh. Mm. Um, round 22. So Essen riding high on a, what's that, a 15-win streak. Yep. Um, lose the final round to Geelong by eight points. Oh, just to put the break on the momentum. Mm, but very much reminds me of Collingwood from, from 2022. Just yeah. new coach, like this spark and just riding this giant wave of momentum. Yeah. And just everyone sort of uh, underestimating Yeah, what, where they're really at. Yes. Yeah. So very interesting. Yeah. Good to see us coming back though. Timmy, you just loved that, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're really getting to like peak 80s bombers. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our lead goal kicker was um, the new man, Tony... Uh, Bahaja. Bahaja with 42. Um, Simon Madden just behind him with 36. I made sure I got Bahaja's name right. Bahaja. Like I, I, yeah, dou- I double-checked you. a few things. Yep. I listened to some reports to get it right because looking at how it's spelt, you're like... A, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and no surprises, the 1981 Crichton medal went to Neil Danaher. So that takes us up to third spot on the ladder where we have the Cats. Geelong with 16 wins and six losses as well, but a slightly better percentage uh, of 129.8. Coached by Billy Goggin and captained by Ian Nankervis. So Geelong's chosen singer is Michael Turner, Mickey Turner, singing the Peter Allen classic, I Go to Rio. How could you not? <laughs> um, debutants for Geelong include Stephen Reynoldson, Ramsey Boganovich, uh, Leo King. They acquired Gary Sidebottom from St Kilda. Um, two other debutants. Let's talk about Bernard Tui now, though. Yes, all right. A rugged and highly de- dependable defender. Bernard Tui was powerfully built and adaptable. He was a prodigious kick, an excellent mark, and was equally at home in a key position or on a flank. Uh, he was recruited by Geelong from Baruga in the Pecola and District Football League. Lovely. Round one in an even and classy exhibit of Australian football. The Cats welcomed Essendon to Cardinia Park. Sheedy's first game in charge. Terry Bright celebrating his 100th game. 
uh, in style actually, he kicked two quick goals. Um, the Cats skip out to a small lead each time and then the Bombers kept reeling them in. This was kind of the theme of the, the match. Pattern. Yep. Yeah. Something I probably didn't men- mention earlier was this match was also Phil Carmen's cam- comeback game after the, the incident. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had three kicks for the match. Yeah. Cats hang on to win by a goal. Round two, they scraped home against the Saints by two points. The Cats had led by 32 at three-quarter time, but the Saints came hard at them in the last quarter but kicked five goals, nine in the last quarter to fall two points short. Malarkey and Mark Boss were also saviors in defence of the Geelong team. Um, they had three losses. Then round six, they were the first team to travel to the SCG that year. They took on Melbourne and won easily by 49 points. Round seven, taking on the Hawks at Prince's Park. The Cats took them down. Again. Round seven, taking on the Hawks at Princess Park. Um, the Hawks. The Cats took on the Hawks and couldn't score goals in the first and third quarters. However, ten minutes from the end, the gawky Leo King steered his third goal through, and the ferocious Cats hung on for a three-point win. Gawky. Round nine, when the Cats took on Fitzroy at Junction Oval, it was Big Cat John Mossop who dominated the ruck and Gary Sidebottom and kicked four goals to ensure the Cats had a 21-point victory. Round ten, jumping Jack Hawkins returned to the Cats at Western Oval as they took on the Dogs um, after he'd had a bit of a battle with injury. Yep. The Cats set up their win with five majors in the wind in the opening term. Kelvin Matthews, who's now playing for Geelong, also instrumental. Round 11, Peter Johnson was the star for the Cats. This time, with his kicking boots on, he kicked six goals from seven shots in an easy win over the Dogs. Round 12 at Cardinia, the Cats surged into third position with their biggest win over the Saints in more than 30 years. Goat. Um, yes, they won by precisely 100 points, kicking 19 goals, 21, and holding St Kilda to four goals, 11. So a very big win there. Terry Bright with five, Blake Burns and Blake and Burns with three goals each in a dominant performance. Um, Jeff, Jeffries and Mossop were the stars for the Cats with Bruce Nankervis playing in his 200th game. Now, round 13 was very momentous for the arrival of a new new recruit, mm. um, a player by the name of Brian Peake. Can you just, before we talk about this, just tell yes. us about Brian Peake. Uh, Peake, he was quick, tough and aggressive and he displayed tremendous uh, endurance. He was a dominant force for East Frio throughout the 70s, uh, winning the club's best and fairest award and five times in succession between 76 and 80, as well as a Sandover medal in 77. Uh, he was... Um, Geelong was persuaded by this, by all these achievements, that he was the finest footballer in the land and they enticed him to Cardinia Park in 1981, as you just said, arriving in style halfway Mm. through the season. Yes, he was flown into Melbourne, then caught a helicopter from Melbourne Airport straight to training and was met with like a Beatles-style mob of Geelong supporters. Oh, really? Yeah. So they all knew he was coming? Yeah. How funny. Um, Feels great and I'm I'm certainly looking forward to Saturday. Did the criticism level at you by Barry Cable in a recent newspaper article help you finally make up your mind or uh, or what? Actually, I don't read many papers. Uh, it was my own doing and on the good wishes of the club and myself, we come to an agreement that will benefit the club and myself and Geelong, hopefully. So they celebrated his arrival against North Melbourne at Cardenia Park with their biggest ever win against the Roos. Well, sorry, biggest since World War II and the f- first instance of consecutive 100-point wins for Geelong. 
They kicked 26 goals, 14, 170 to win by 114 points. Ruckman Rod Blake kicked seven goals at full forward. Neil and Bruns were also stars, while Peak, the man of the moment, kicked two goals and was named among Geelong's best. Round 15, he also, Brian Peake again, that man started like a house on, par- on fire as the Tigers took on the Cats. And it took Tony Jewell some time to find a way to combat his effectiveness, but the Cats led at every change and won by five goals. Round 16, they took on a hapless Melbourne, and with straight kicking, it could have been a far bigger thrashing. The dominant Featherby was one of the Cats' worst defenders, kicking four goals seven from his 40 kicks. However, he also took 11 marks, eight handballs, and had f- for a total of 48 disposals. Cats by 88. Um, they then had a 14-point win over the Hawks in a hard-fought game. Round 19 was David Clark's 200th match for the Cats. It was a 15-point win over the Lions. Um, an interesting note here is that one... So this was the round where the umpires were replaced, the, the umpire strike. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was all the underage guys. One of the umpires who replaced the VFL umpires was Chris Mitchell, who I, was quite young then. He would go on to umpire 341 games between 1981 and 2002. When he retired in 2003, he was third on the all-time games umpired in the VFL list. Really? Yeah. Uh, round 20, they had a convincing win over the Swans at the Lakeside Oval by 53 points. Round 21, they took on the Dogs. Geelong slammed on a lazy 10 goals by quarter time, cruising to a 69-point win. Uh, Rod Blake, their ruckman, was evidently cramped, camped in the goal square on this occasion. He kicked seven. Uh, round 22, it was a ruthless contest against the 15 win-in-a-row Bombers. Um, but the Cats were able to end their streak through a combination of mud, rain and superb Geelong defence. Uh, the Bombers actually pushed midway through the tents last quarter, but missed crucial opportunities to capitalise. Late goals to Terry Bright and Stephen Lunn in drenching rain regained the lead for the Cats, and, the, and they managed to win that game by eight points and thus qualify for finals again. Yeah, they made it up there. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at Geelong this year was Terry Bright, and the Kaji Greaves medal in 1981 went to Peter Featherby, the captain in Vancouver's coming second there. Uh, so taking us up to second spot on the ladder, where we've got the Pies, Timmy, with Again. 17 wins and five losses, coached by Tommy Hafey and captained by Peter Moore. Right. Their chosen singer is Ray Shaw, the mm-hmm. captain. The ex ex captain. Sorry, you're yeah. up. Singing, Danny Boy. Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Classic Irish. Did he? Oh, it's quite, quite tricky. I know. It's very vocal, uh, heavy. Yes. Yeah. That's a tough one to do. I'm, I, I think I'm impressed that he's doing it. Yep. Impressed with his, his guts to have a yeah. crack at it, for sure. Um, all right. So, at Collingwood, debutantes include Mark Wiedemann, son of Murray, um, a.k.a. Young Weed, as it was called. Uh, Wes Fellows, Murray Brown, Noel Lovell, Michael Taylor, and a man we might know by the name of Mark Choco Williams. Choco Williams, here he is. Uh, so he actually began playing at West Adelaide under his father, Foss, as coach in 1976. But he transferred uh, later to Port Adelaide in time to star in the centre in the club's 31-point defeat of South Adelaide in the 79 Sandville Grand Final. He wasn't a pretty or stylish footballer. Um, his kicking style was actually extremely ungainly, but he was certainly effective, as we've seen with his precision footballs. I know, that, it's surprising that that comment's there, isn't yeah. it? Because we know like, he's... That's what he's sort of known yeah, for, right? Yeah, he's accurate kicking. And well, 
it doesn't say he was inaccurate. He just says he was ungainly yeah, looking. Okay. Yeah. Um, Collingwood had no more gutsy or effective contributor during the fir- during the first half of the eighties. Uh, great man. Very happy to have him at the D's now. Yeah. All right, round one, Fitzroy took on the Pies. And the 1980 Wooden Spooners actually pushed Collingwood all day. It's a 42-goal thriller, actually. Fitzroy kicking 20, Collingwood kicking 22. Um, But the Pies were able to win by 26 points. Peter Dacos leading the way with six goals. Actually, speaking of Peter Dacos, he kicked another six in round two in the Pies' crushing win over a hopeless Footscray side by 94 points. Round three, they had the upper hand against the Saints at Moorabbin. It was a tight first half, but they went away with it in the third. Dacos again kicking six. Um, and I think he was real, the real poster boy for Collingwood now. Like He's made a name for himself. Dacos. Dacos, yeah. yeah. Uh, round four, late withdrawals of Kink, Shaw and Dacos didn't prevent Collingwood from grinding their way to a narrow win over Geelong. Terry Bright's five-goal haul out of nine for the home side was overshadowed by six of 11 from Craig Davis, uh, including all five in the second half and the sealer moments before full-time. Uh, round five, they easily accounted for the Demons. Round six, taking on Carlton. No Collingwood fan was prepared for what was to come after the Blues led after the first quarter. Uh, and let's just check the Blues led by 4-3 to 2-5. So, close. Following that, it was 20 goals to 8 for the rest of the game. A peerless team performance by the Magpies. A seven-goal masterclass from Peter Dacos was undoubtedly the highlight. Veteran Kevin Morris chimed in with four goals. Peter Moore dominant in the ruck. Uh, and Mark Williams was also really enhancing his reputation. Round seven, they beat the Swans to make it seven in a row, but then the Bombers knocked them off at Waverley. Round nine at Arden Street, they kicked eight goals, one in the third term to give them sufficient leeway against North Melbourne. Uh, Toomey's 60-metre run and 50-metre goal was a goal of the year contender. Round 20, Dacos was on fire again with nine goals, this time against the Tigers in a 55-point win, reversing the result of last year's grand final, 1980. Yep. But just when they had pulled to outright first on the ladder, the Hawks upset them in front of a huge crowd at Waverley. Round 12, they took on the Dogs, and the Dogs is the one where they rolled out Mike Brady to sing Sons of the Scray. Yep. Um, and the Dogs took it up to them for the first three quarters. It was actually 9.15 to 8.8 8 at three-quarter time. Um, but then Collingwood were able to steady in the last quarter. It was only a rapid burst of three goals to Morris, Dacos and Brewer in the last two and a half minutes or so that really steadied the game and, and won it for Magpies. Mm. Uh, round 13 was a standard 56-point win over the Saints, although Peter Moore was reported. He, he got off. Round 14, um, after their win over the Cats, reporters asked Tommy Hafey where the Pies had won it. Tommy Hafey just kept sipping his tea, stared at his ruined leather, and then his answer was, that's for you boys to work out. Because most, most people agreed that Geelong had lost it rather than Collingwood winning it. The margin was three goals. Okay. Uh, round 15, the Demons put up a good fight, uh, but the Pies took it up to them in the second half, winning by 22 points. Round 16 in front of a jam-packed crowd at Victoria Park. The Pies welcomed the Blues, and it was a hot game. The Pies were goalless after the first quarter, and they trailed by 20 at halftime, but then took control on the third. They scored seven goals in an 11-minute burst in the third quarter. That lapse of form from the Blues was enough for the Pies to take control, and in a thrilling final stanza, the Pies were able to hold on by a point. Just before the siren, Peter Bazzasto had a half chance to score the winning goal, or at least a point, but Craig Davis... Sorry, but he didn't. Craig Davis led the way for the Pies with four goals. Choco Williams was the star for the Pies. Round 19, coming off successive defeats in 17 and 18, the Pies experienced early tension at Victoria Park when North banged on the first five goals of the match and led by 26 points at first change. 
It was only midway through the second quarter that the Pies broke their goal drought, after which they took control at Victoria Park. North fought back to within four points midway through the last, but the Pies broke away to end the game um, 24 points ahead. Round 20, the Pies fell to... The Pies fell in to beat the Tigers by five points in front of 70,000 people at the MCG. Um, the winner was kicked by Renee Kink, who launched himself above the pack to take a screamer and then from 40 metres out kicked what was ultimately the winning goal. Round 21, the Hawks took on the Pies and they started better, the better team, leading by 22 at quarter time, but from then on it was all Collingwood. They slammed on 20 goals, 15 to the Hawks, 5 goals, 7 to win by 73 points. Renee Kink again the hero, 16 kicks, 8 marks, 16 handballs and 3 goals. Choco Williams again excellent. Um, but round 22, we talked about this already, Fitzroy upsetting them. Yeah. And round, like they were sitting on top of the ladder at this point. Um, they ended with a single loss, of a, and this was their first loss at home for a long time as well. Um, this cost them top spots and, and the precious week rest. Yeah. Week off. Um, and we, we talked about how low their score was as well. Yes. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at, at Collingwood this year was Peter Dacos with 76. And the Copeland Trophy went to first-year player Mark Choco-Williams. There you go. doesn't surprise me. Now, just right. before you get to Carlton, yes. I've just done a little bit of research. You know how I talked about the album uh, being inspired by a rugby league one? Yep. So I'm just looking at the rugby league one now, and there's a lot of similar songs. Okay. So they obviously had the rights to these songs. So we'll these, do like, these songs. We'll do it too. There you go. Very interesting. Uh, so that takes us up to the top of the ladder. And as you mentioned, we have the Blues sitting up there. Carlton with 17 wins, five losses as well, but an extremely healthy percentage of 130.3. Uh, coached by David Parkin and captained by Mike Fitzpatrick. Again. Yeah, David Parkin coming in to replace Percy Jones. Yes. Yeah, after the Hawks dumped him. Um, all right, singer for Carlton is Mark McClure. Singing Imagine by the Beatles. Oh, by John Lennon. Oh, just the idea of that is terrifying. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can hear how bad it is in my head. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Um, some debutantes for Carlton include Greg Sharp, Jeff Hocking, Indigenous player Rod Waddle, who is actually the uncle of Daniel Shannon and Stephen Motlop. Uh-huh. But... Probably what captured the imagination of the football world were two recruits, I think from WA, Peter Bazzasto and Ken Hunter. Yes, so Peter Bazzasto is a brilliant mercurial match winner who delighted fans in two states for more than a decade. The buzz. Uh, the buzz, yes. He was, the mercurial nature was evident early in his, pa- in his pace and ground skills combined with his uncanny marking skills. Um, he had him been compared with many ex-Waffle greats. Uh, he was an outstanding big, big match performer whose cat-like reflexes and uncanny anticipation thrilled friend and foe alike. Hmm. Sounds terrifying. And then we have Ken Hunter, of course. Already 23 years old when he was recruited to Carlton from Claremont uh, in 1981. He was a seasoned two-time All-Australian defender. Uh, he'd suffered a broken jaw on three separate occasions while earning widespread acclaim for his aerial ability and outstanding bravery in marking contests. He would go on to play 99 games with Claremont and uh, kick 23 goals in his time playing with the Tigers. 
Claymore Tigers. The Tigers, yeah. Good. All right, round one. It was Bazasto and Hunter who made a really good uh, debut in the Blues' 62-point win over Richmond. Bazasto added much-needed bite to the Blues' attack and had a hand in six goals with intelligent play. Round two, the battle between Carlton and Hawthorne at Princes Park produced some great individual efforts. Blues winger Phil Malin, superb and best on ground, with his, while stalwart defender Val Perovic was supreme at centre-half back for the Blues as they won by 16 points. Round three, Carlton just had the measure of Fitzroy. Rover Rod Ashman capped off his bag full of kicks with three goals. As the Blues toppled the Lions, uh, Ashman earned best on ground. The Blues won by 16 points. They beat the Dogs in round four by 28. In round five against the Saints, the Blues were slow out of the blocks, but atoned for a goalless first quarter with 17 in the next two. Four goals from Mike Fitzpatrick in nine minutes against the Wind shortly after halftime put the icing on the cake for Carlton. Um, Centre-half back, Val Petrovic turned it on against his old club, St Kilda. Um, he continually thwarted St Kilda attacking moves with cool, calculated defensive play. Um, they beat the Demons by 40 in round 7. Round 8 was an important win against the Cats, who had started hot and led by actually 34 points at half-time. But Carlton used a strong breeze to start the comeback in the third quarter. Um, they needed all their guile and experience in defence to hold the Cats till the end. They won by 5 points. McConville kicked five, and this was David Mackay's 250th game. I feel like he's been there forever, David yeah. Mackay. He was the one who kicked it to Jezelenko in 1970 grand final. Yeah, unbelievable. Round nine, Carlton was spectacular in their 99-point mauling of South Melbourne. The Blues' highest score in a match against South, and even more remarkable for the fact that the Swans led by 15 points at quarter time. The Buzz kicked eight goals uh, and, took the aw- and took the award for the p- best performance of the round. Round 11, they took on the... Kangaroos at Princess Park. Um, they were comfortable winners due to the efforts of Bazasto and Bruce Dool. The Dominator, Wayne Johnson, was back for the first game this season. And side note here, umpire Bill Della officiated his 250th game. Mm. Uh, round 12, their precision teamwork was too much for the Hawks in a 39-point win. Round 14 at Princess Park against the Dogs. A returning Ken Sheldon was the architect for the Blues' big win over Footscray, which was an 81-point win. Um, he kept gaining possession of the ball all day. After an even first quarter, uh, the Blues kept the Dogs for only th- to only three more goals for the rest of the day while adding another 14 themselves. Sheldon carried on this fine form in round 15 as they beat the Saints. Again in the wet, this was a 15-point win. Round 17, despite a slow start, they crunched the Demons by 53 points at home. An eight-goal second quarter and a nine-goal last quarter raising the roof at Princess Park. Uh, the atmosphere was at fever pitch, although, I mean, the Demons wouldn't be really putting up much of a fight there, no. would they? Round 18, they took on Geelong at Princess Park, and injuries had hit the Blues hard. And they entered the game without Harms, Macau, Buckley, Klomp, Southby, Jones, Perovich, Austin and Armstrong. So lots of players out. But despite this, the Blues took the bit between the teeth and attacked from the start, firing seven goals through the strong Cats defence by quarter time and holding it from then on. Geelong did work their way back and got within three points in the last change, but an early bomb from the Dominator steadied the Blues. Pizzasto followed up moments later, taking a well-remembered mark of the year. His resultant goal confirmed the result. The bit's the, the whole thing, isn't it, Arthur? Yep. Yep. Um, round 19, this was the second Sunday trial game. We talked about, you know, why would it be South Melbourne versus Carlton? Um, they played this at Lakeside Oval. Tra- sorry, it's transferred from Lakeside Oval to the MCG. Played on a very cold and wet Sunday at the G. Carlton led by 44 points at half time. South couldn't be shaken off and they reduced the margin to 23 points at the final quarter, but a bizarre game to give 
it's a Sunday. Well, yeah, to try and trial something where you're like, this is going to work. It works for Essendon and Collingwood. They got a massive crowd. Why go go the big go Carlton and Melbourne? Melbourne. Yeah, Carlton and Hawthorne, Carlton and Richmond. Yeah, 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 exactly. Round twenty one against the Roos at Waverley. It was a massive second quarter burst that saw the Blues set up a win over the Kangaroos. They win by 22. Wayne Harms was excellent. And round 22 against the Tigers, the MCG. Three goals in four minutes late in the third term. One Carlton, a low-scoring match. Sheldon and Bazasto, good. And because of Collingwood's loss, they were rocketed to the top of the ladder. Lovely. By, what was that, 8%? 8%, yep. Nice. Really took them out. So our lead goal kicker um, at Carlton this year was the Buzz, Peter Bazasto, with 59 and... The John Nichols Medal in 1981 went to Ken Hunter. So some great recruiting from there. League goal kicker and best and fairest going to two new players. So that takes us into the finals, Tim. Well, before we get to finals, let's talk about the Brownlow. Yes, yes, let's do it. Um, We have joint winners for the very first time. Not long after the VFL changed that rule and said, all right, now you can have joint winners. If it's a tie, both people people win. Yep. Yep. Um, So... When the very first time that was available, it happened. Um, Barry Round of South Melbourne and Bernie Quinlan of Fitzroy were joint winners of the medal. Um, the amazing thing being they had both been teammates at Footscray. I was about to say, yeah. Before moving teams, yeah. yeah. Um, they both polled 22 votes each to beat Carlton's Rod Ashman by one vote. Uh, under the new system, players who tied for first vote could each get a medal. Um, under the old system, Quinlan would have beaten Round on countback. Because he had more best on ground. Yeah. Quinlan and Round hugged each other and toasted their joint win with champagne soon after receiving their medals from Dr. Alan Aylett at the Southern Cross Hotel. The pair had been friends since they joined Footscray from the Latrobe Valley League in 1969. They had remained so, though Round now captain South Melbourne and Quinlan's at Fitzroy. In the off-season, they trained together, and last October, or the October before the season, they went on holidays with their families to Surface Paradise, where they ran along the beach together for two weeks and really got their fitness up. How lovely. Yeah. So it would have been a, a lovely duo to take home the medal mm. um, Cole's goals who do you reckon had the most goals um, I reckon it was Collingwood Collingwood 349 goals wow mm. wow that's a lot of goals that's a lot of goals seems like a lot of goals yeah it was <laughs> alright finals let's talk finals here we come okay so week one we had our elimination final at uh, VFL Park in front of almost 60,000 people and we had Essendon versus Fitzroy. Essendon having not won a final since 1968 as well, so it's a bit of a bit it's of a, a monkey on their back, which is very similar to now, yes. much longer now. Um, what's the crowd there? Uh, 58,598. Great. Bombers were sluggish to start the game and in the face of an early Fitzroy onslaught, the underrated Max Crow stood tall, clunking some early marks on his way to a game-high tally of 12. Um, with Ron Alexander and Matt Rendell dominating the ruck, Essendon's other big men, the Madden brothers and Roger Merritt, were largely missing in action. Just 13 possessions and eight marks between them was glaring evidence of how well the Lions had nullified the Bombers' aerial supremacy. Um, Alexander was given silver service to Rover Gary Wilson and Peter Francis. Things got serious for the Bombers when, they, when play resumed after the first break. Fitzroy were again out of the blocks quickly, and 10 minutes in, they held a 37-point break. In desperation, Sheeds threw his underperforming side around, moved the magnets. Things started to click, and the Bombers and their fans came to life. Next 10 minutes, they piled on five of the next six goals, and by three-quarter time, they had drawn to within a straight kick. 
After this scoring flurry, last quarter began as a goalless arm wrestle until 13 minutes in, Ronnie Andrews marked strongly in the goal square and put the Bombers in front for the first time. Come on. Two minutes later. One of Fitzroy's few forward thrusts wasn't cleared by an Essendon defender. From the fumbling contest, Wilson swooped with an opportunistic crumbing goal. Essendon continued to attack, but their scoring yips returned. At the 21-minute mark, Wilson capped off a brilliant day with a perfect pass to Bernie Quinlan, who converted from the restart. Francis won the clearance and found Quinlan again, and Superboot sealed the victory for the Lions. They won by 15. They did. The Bombers' fairy tale season is over. Yeah. You know, they worked very hard. They got there. It's good to see. Right, there's some learnings in that. Yeah, they certainly are. And what do you ve- mean it's good to see? Well, they're, you know, getting up and about again. Oh, okay, not good yeah. to see them lose. They're not good to see them lose. I mean, good. I'm glad Fitzroy are winning finals. Yeah, yeah, I can't, well. I can't stay mad at yeah, Fitzroy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but on the very same day, the MCG in front of 83,899 people, we had Collingwood playing Geelong in the qualifying final. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so Collingwood started this game pretty well. Um, they started with vigour and discipline. They held a three-goal lead at the first break. Geelong continued to overuse the ball, and they desperately needed a circuit breaker. Enter an unlikely hero, John Mossop. Mossop's seven-goal haul turned the game on its head. From a mark and a goal within a minute of the resumption of play in the second quarter, Mossop ruled the forward line. Um, he kicked a remarkable five, five goals in that term and a further two in the third quarter. Rod Blake's dominance in the ruck against Peter Moore enabled Billy Goggin to keep Mossop in the goal square all day. The Cats ran out 14-point winners, although it should be noted that Collingwood was woefully inaccurate with 13 goals, 20. Yes. I mean, Geelong not that much better with 16-16 either, but yeah, very inaccurate, 13-20. So that takes us to week two with our semi-finals. So we've got Collingwood having lost, having to play off against... Fitzroy, our elimination final winner, and Carlton coming into finals having a playoff against the winner in Geelong. So let's talk about that Collingwood Fitzroy final first at the MCG in front of 85,000 people, Timmy. What a corker. Um, in the first half, Collingwood played some brilliant football and had some unlikely heroes on the day. Most notably was standing ruckman Stuart Atkin, who admirably covered for Moore, who was a bit injured, I think. I think he injured himself in that first final. Mm. Yet just as Collingwood seemed in complete control, a switch was flicked. Fitzroy's Ron Alexander lifted and in doing so brought Ruck Rover David McMahon into the play who coolly netted four goals. The margin was back to 14 points at the last change and it was just four a few minutes later. The two teams went toe-to-toe from then on. With five minutes to go, um, they led by 10 points and were doing all... This is line. The Lions led by 10 points and were doing all the attacking. But Collingwood was not dead yet. From a kick-in, Collingwood worked a chain of passes down the members' wing, Davis to Brewer and ended with Dacos for a goal. From the restart, Atkins caps off his great day with a decisive hit out to Kink. Barham and Rayshaw work it to Davis without a Fitzroy player touching it. Playing in front, Davis earns a doubtful free kick 60 metres out. His attempt falls a few metres short, but in a flurry of bodies, it's Ross Brewer who, sw- Brewer who swoops on the loose ball and rifles that over his shoulder for the match winner. In a manic fashion, Fitzroy cleared quickly from the centre and launched another long clearance, but Munane's shot glances off the pack and through for a point. Collingwood hold on in the last... 90 seconds to win by one point. A single point. What a game. 19-19-133 defeating Fitzroy's 19-18-132. Yeah. So a big scoring single point affair. Massive. Mm. Would have been a great game to see. Absolutely. Uh, on the uh, other game that afternoon at VFL Park in front of 66,000 people, not quite as close. No. Uh, so we had Carlton playing Geelong, as we said. 
Yeah, well, early on, the Cats had the ascendancy. John Mossop continued his form from the previous week with two goals in the first 12 minutes. And the Blues looked flat after their week off, struggling to adapt to the finals intensity. Mm-hmm. But late in the first quarter, Carlton launched a specular, spectacular, speculative? Carlton launched a speculative attack. <laughs> it amounts to nothing, spilling to Ian Nankervis, who looks to clear for the Cats around the back pocket boundary line. But as he prepares to kick it to safety, from nowhere, a horizontal body launches itself across his leg. None other than the buzz himself. Um, for an instant of time and space, the ball is free. The prostate figure swivels, pounces, gathers and snaps. The goal of brilliance and desperation against the odds. Peter Bazzasto, goal of the year. Mercurial. Unbelievable. From that moment, the Carlton crowd erupts into life and the game's psychology shifts irrevocably. The Cats lead by as much as 19 points in the second quarter and it takes until early in the final term for the Blues to wear Geelong down. But as you said, they win pretty comfortably in the end. Yeah, so Carlton 16-17-113, defeating Geelong 11-7-73. Meaning, in the prelim, we've got a replay of Geelong-Collingwood. So back at VFL Park in front of 69,000 people uh, on the 19th of September. Right, so a bit of pre... Seems yes. to happen before the game here. Gary Sidebottom was awaiting notification of a late call-up to the team, but never received the message. Um, when the team bus stopped at his usual collection point at Lara, their key big man was nowhere to be found. Rather than peru- pursue the missing big man, coach Bill Goggin elected to substitute sidebottom for emergency Peter Johnson. Johnson had travelled by car to Waverley um, with some other non-participating playmates. Playmates. Teammates. <laughs> playmates. Um, he downed a hasty lunch complete with a thick shake and quickly changed into his playing gear. Such last-minute changes rarely ever work, though. No. Um, Johnson had a forgettable day, confined largely to the bench and managing only one possession. To the game itself. Collingwood had the best of the first quarter, only for Geelong to reassert itself in the second. Once again, the move of Blake into the ruck and John Mossop forward sparked the Cats. However, Collingwood were ready for it um, and limited the, da- the damage. Veteran defender Ian Cooper had played only four games for the Pies in the previous four seasons due to ongoing arthritis problems, but was brought back into the team to match Geelong's smaller forwards, leaving Peter McCormack to handle the big ruckman. Um, Cooper's selection proved inspirational, actually. He nullified a succession of opponents and provided plenty of drive for the Pies. In contrast with the earlier final, the Cats also got nothing out of young Stephen Reynoldson, who managed just eight possessions, two marks and no goals. Although they'd outplayed the Pies through the middle of the game, putting nine goals to six, their lead was minimal at the last change. Amidst a dour defensive struggle, the Magpies also had a couple of top-class opportunists. Against the run of play in the third quarter, Dacos and Kink had produced some really team-lifting goals. However, as the shadows grew longer, Charlie, and the big ground sapped the players' energy, Geelong looked like they might hold on. They scored the only goal in the first 10 minutes of the last quarter and led by 11 points at that stage. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? Yeah. But again, the deadly duo of Kink and Dacos re-emerged, and in rapid succession, they conjured two goals. For the second week in succession, Collingwood had found themselves a point in front. A late snap from Craig Davis sealed the game, and Collingwood played out the last few minutes with a seven-point buffer. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, so Geelong are out. Geelong are out, and Collingwood are in to their third straight grand final. Third straight grand final. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a Carlton-Collingwood grand final at the MCG in front of 112,964 people. A rematch you. of the 1979 grand final. Yes. Uh, well, let's let's chat to Mike Fitzpatrick, the premiership captain, and, and learn more about this game. <sighs> Thank you. 
Welcome, Rhodes Scholar and now Premiership Captain, Mike Fitzpatrick. Thanks, gentlemen. It's got a nice ring to it. Um, a memorable victory today, Mike, especially in the face of all that's happened at Carlton in probably the last two years. Certainly is. And I know there's been a lot said about what happened off-field at the club, but on the field, we've tried to play a consistent brand of footy, and I think you saw that in the end. The distractions of two years ago were not as detrimental to us as you might have seen in the media. So another really strong season, uh, Carlton finishing on top. I wonder if you have a moment to talk about that loss to Essendon in round 20. Nah, let's stick to discussing our success today. Okay, sure, but look, I guess the fallout from the Essendon game was probably that injury you suffered. Actually, it was the round before that again south and I just dislocated my finger. So yeah, my hand was damaged and I was in a bit of pain, but I didn't want to let the team down from a leadership or player's point of view. Matt, and speaking of injuries, Jeff Southby did his hammy in the semi-final win over Geelong. He was very disappointed. He set an excellent example for the rest of the team on the back line. We knew we would miss him today. Now let's talk about your coach, new coach David Park, and how would you say he's bonded with the team this year? He has certainly earned all of our respect, the way he's gone about it since day one. One of Parkin's gifts is he's able to be seen to be in control, to be, to be stable. It's something for everybody else to hang on to. You need someone to steer the guys, someone above the whole thing. If he can't stay above it, he risks losing us all. And another grand final against the Pies. The two biggest sides in the biggest day of the year. They had beaten us twice during the year, so there was a bit of a feeling like it was a hurdle to get over. But we had beaten them in 79, so we knew that we had to do, we knew what we had to do to win the game. What were the last few moments in the rooms like? We got a few guys in the medicos rooms pre-game. So it was public knowledge this week that Peter Moore was under an injury cloud. But no one knew that we had guys up against it as well. And what did uh, David Parkin have to say? Just a few last reinforcing words. How was the mood of the team once you took the field? It was impossible to ignore the excitement or the atmosphere. You're in front of the biggest crowd of the year, perhaps your life. And the crowd isn't just huge, they're motivated, really involved and enthusiastic. The keys to soak it in, use it to wind up. Now, you lost the coin toss, but the game started at a really good pace. How did you feel the Blues and you yourself started? I got a few touches early, moving freely and easily, and handling the ball surely. But there was also a strange feeling of detachment, of being totally committed, but not really being there. Players were tearing in for the ball. Collingwood were playing better. We can't get any patterns. So it's two goals apiece at quarter time. Who do you think had the better of the two teams in the first quarter? At quarter time, it's tight, but Collingwood have played better. And the second quarter probably didn't go the way you wanted it to either. In the second quarter, we got going, but couldn't convert. We were kicking poorly and breaking down at half forward. The 10 minutes in the quarter, we dominated, but can't convert. But both teams kicked three goals each, and your team, Carlton, had a slender lead. You were probably all feeling pretty frustrated, to be honest. Mm, half time, it's effectively a stalemate. We are one point up, and as we come into the dressing room, there is a sense of frustration knowing we've started poorly and wasted opportunities. Matt, what was the message from the coach at halftime? Mm, Parkin emphasised the significance of the day, the importance of the third quarter. What moves did he make? A few. The most significant of which was Harms at half-back and Peter McConville up front. And then the third quarter got started and they seemed to work pretty well. Yeah. After what seemed only a moment, we were back on the ground and it was raining. But as you said, those moves paid off. Arms immediately got going and gives us some bite. The Blues skipped out to a handy seven-point lead. All was going well, and then it wasn't. Are you talking about Collingwood's string of goals? 
I am. Midway through the quarter, Collingwood broke away. Temporarily, nothing goes right for us, and Collingwood are suddenly direct and successful. They were all over us. My own game had slipped. Suddenly, we were four goals down, into time, on and losing control. So from that point on, Mike, it was really noticeable that you shouldered some of the responsibility to just try and help right the ship. When I was the captain, I must make an effort to rally the players, encourage them. Set, set an example. So I went in very hard at the next bounce. We worked the ball down near our goal. Sellers knocks the ball out of the defender's hands to Ashy, who converted. There was no great impact on the board, but it shifted momentum. Matt, and then it happened again. Well, that's the mindset. Go back to the contest again. Go again. Try to score again. And we did. Then Bucks kicked an easy goal just before the siren. So at three-quarter time, after what we could probably describe for Carlton as a pretty terrible quarter, you're just in the game, but remarkably only nine points down. We had a feeling of deep disappointment and concern. We were shaken. The players looked flat. And as you said, we were lucky we were so close. But that, what was the final message? Like, how, do you, how did you try and turn the result your way? Amazingly, Parkin exudes a confidence that's reasonably convincing. He tells us that Collingwood have made their run and are starting to falter. He encourages us to take risks. He knew we had lots of fitness and lots of runs left in us. And it didn't start the way you would have liked. The final quarter started disastrously. Phil Malin overstepped the square line at the first bounce. Luckily the Pies' Craig Stewart misses the chance and Toomey's long shot on goal is touched on the line by Moore. It seems that they are still on top, but their two mistakes have given us a bit of a chance. If we push back up, we were getting back into the game. But then, with all these momentum shifts, again the pendulum swung back your way. It did. Starting with Sheldon, who, under extreme pressure, goals. We felt that suddenly luck was on our side and starting to swing for us. We're back in the match. And looking across at the Collingwood guys, they're not looking all that special. Emotionally, there is a rapid change. Suddenly Collingwood is vulnerable. And the Blues pounced. Ashy goals and we are a point up. But there is still a feeling this is going to be one of those games where you have to fight to the very end. We begin dominating play, but we were unable to convert. Points, points, points. The worry is the opposition will break from defence, rip the ball into an open forward line, goal, and tear our heart out. We needed to concentrate on order, structure. Get blokes to kick behind to ensure as much cover as possible. Now, within the next 15 minutes, the Blues kicked another couple of goals. By time on, we lead by 20 points. But we still know a goal with the crowd behind them could still lift them. And this is, I know you didn't want to talk about it, but this is probably where your lessons from the past season kick in, specifically that Essendon game. Absolutely. All the players remember the Essendon game. All our players take an aggressive role, organising, telling each other to pick him up, tight contest. Mate, that quarter felt like it seemed to drag on uh, at the end there. You must have been feeling it out there. 30 minutes clicked by and we thought we must have it. And then finally the siren. Then ecstasy. What's the emotion once you hear the siren, that siren? It's the most satisfying moment of the year. An immense joy wells up from within. Then the celebrations began well and truly. They do. They're embraces, singing. I remember taking the trophy, giving one handle to Parkin and lifting it high. The players, officials and crowd went berserk. We ran a lap of honour and honestly all the best bits are over in moments. Now, you described the moment as probably the most satisfying moment you've ever had. Can you expand on that for a moment? Suddenly, the thing you have wanted most for a year to win this match has happened. All the fears of 12 months, all the tightness of the last month washed away. You are fulfilled. Mate, 
I mean, obviously, really exciting, but it ne wasn't necessarily one of the best games of the year today's game, was it? True. The grand final is not necessarily the fastest or the best game of the year, but it's a game where everyone gives everything. Enormous pressure, the greatest test of a player. And if you succeed, it's the highest achievement. So today, what a great victory over a great club, and they fielded a great side today, full marks to Collingwood. It was a hard game, physically and mentally. Collingwood is always hard to beat, especially in a grand final. You had a pretty decent game yourself, Mike. Look, my job was made easy because Peter Moore was obviously hurt, but well done to Stuart Atkin, who took his spot. Mate, talk to us about uh, Bruce Dool's game today, the uh, Norm Smith medal winner. What a magnificent game he played. We had our backs against the wall early, he stood tall. He had the better of Craig Davis in the air and on the ground early and provided excellent rebounding from our defence. His game today was errorless. And I think his effort today has been justly rewarded with the medal. And what for the team now? I mean, two premierships in three years is almost the pinnacle. Well, our challenge now is to do what no other club has been able to achieve since Richmond in 73-74, and that is win two premierships in succession. <laughs> Mate, that's certainly a good challenge and harder than it might seem. I've been told by our president, Ian Rice, that as of this win, we have now equaled Collingwood's record of 13 premierships. Next year, we want total VFL supremacy and to win our 14th flag. Anyone else you need to thank before we finish up, Mike? Sure. A big thanks to everyone at the club, the staff, all the guys who played together and those who didn't but helped us get to the grand final. The 20 guys who played together were really lucky to represent the club. I should also thank David Park and the coach, former coach Percy Jones. I guess there's nothing else to say except come on the Blues! Jeez. All right, some stats. So goal kickers, Carlton, we've got Ashman three, McClure two, Mackay two, Sheldon two, Johnson, Buckley and Harms one each. For Collingwood, Barham two, Williams two, Dacos Moore, Shaw, both Shaws one each, Stewart and Taylor one each. Best for Carlton, Dual, Fitzpatrick, Hunter, Macau and Malin. Yeah. Um, yeah, so another very disappointing loss for Collingwood, which will have some ramifications for their, their coaching and this will impact Tommy Hafey going forward. Yeah. Um, also interesting to note, it's the sixth and last time so far that these two teams have played in the grand final. The Pies won the first one in 1910, yep. which was an incredibly bruising, yeah, that encounter. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but the Blues have won the next five. Wow. Yeah. And they haven't played one since 1981. No. No. Um, a few other interesting things. So um, Mike Fitzpatrick talked about three-quarter time there and that they could tell the Pies were tired. Something else that happened was that um, Tharold Merritt, who I think was a committee member at that stage, took it upon himself to go out and he actually was speaking to Ricky Barham saying, you're not going hard enough, mate. And he, he, Ricky Barham arced up and there was a bit of a heated exchange which caused a massive distraction. Yeah. Um, Why get you not getting involved at that stage, are you? I don't, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing is how much the weight of expectation, not expectation, but the weight of history was on their shoulders because... Collingwood shoulders? Well, yeah, well, Carlton have won this game, which means they now share the same amount of premierships. They, they're both on 13 flags. Yep. And how much of, like, we did it in 58, we protected it in 58, you've got to go out there and do the same thing. Would that have affected them? Like, that that weight of defending... Defending the fact they, that you're on the top of Yeah, the... what they see is rightfully their spot. There would have been a bit of pressure as well, as you just said, like this is their this is their third grand final in a row. Yeah. That they they would have been like, we, we've got to win, we've got to get one of these. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, 
Yeah. Would have, that would have been under a heap of, of pressure. Yeah. I think, and Peter Moore playing with an injury wasn't great. I think he was, was he the one who threw his runner-up medal in the Yarra? I think he was. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, after the game, Tommy Hafey said he didn't want to speak at the after-match function because the players should be ashamed of themselves. He said they were becoming accustomed to being praised for losing. Next day, he went on TV and said that some players were letting the team down and a one of the newspapers published a list of players who had supposedly let the team down. Really? Um, and this led to a bit of a rift between him and the players who I thought bet. he had leaked that list, which he, I don't, oh, no, I don't know no. if he had, but the, the, the journalist who leaked it had a connection to Hafey. So there's, oh. there's some speculation he was. But he int- had. interesting that, like, wasn't it... It wasn't like they just got ab- they got smashed in the grand final either. It was like just that last quarter. Just that last quarter, but mm. a great great year. Yeah, very um, strange. Also, I mean, Hayfield would be feeling the pressure massively. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser invited the team to his lodge as part of the celebrations, where they all went and they all stole and pocketed stuff. <laughs> Fun stories about that. Um, some other winners, so reserves, we've got Geelong defeating Essendon. In a very high-scoring game. Under 19, the Ds. Yes. Taking out the flag, beating the Cats. Fantastic. The McClellan Trophy, therefore, going to Geelong. Yep. Um, I've got a few little bits of news here just to finish off as well. Yep. In route, round 18, the VFL drops the old Form 4 system, previously used to recruit from interstate and moves to a draft. Oh. On October 6th, the very first VFL draft for interstate recruits is held. Interesting. And the Demons had the number one pick and picked Alan Johnson from WA. We might need to look a bit more into that. We certainly do, yeah. how it all worked. Yeah, maybe it's a way of protecting the VFL from plundering players from other states or trying to even up, balance up the system. Balance up the system. But still, we're seeing players... Coming from interstate just to club, like just getting poached by clubs, right? So I think is so, yeah. there an age thing mm, to let's, it? Maybe let's, uh, we might have put we a pin in that and let's, let's that. come back yep. to it. Absolutely. Um, all right, well, let's wrap this up then, Charlie. Let's do it. So premiers, our premiers are Carlton with thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, I'll get to the list in a minute. Yeah. The Brownlee medals lists. The Brownlee medalists, uh, ex teammates Bernie Quinlan and. Barry Round. Barry Round, thank you. The Coleman. Michael Roach with 86. Yes. Wooden Spoon. My, Melbourne. Yeah, their ninth Wooden Spoon. Um, still, the, more, still more flags than Wooden Spoons at this stage for the days. Yep, still. Yeah. Um, high score was both Essendon and North Melbourne. Um, Essendon kicking 26-23 and North Melbourne 27-17 for a total of 179. On, on count back, you'd probably give that to North, wouldn't you? Because they kick more goals. Yep. Yep. Better accuracy. Yep. Although the Bombers had more shots on goal. <laughs> um, most points was Rod Ashman of Carlton. He kicked 49. Rookie of the year, my re- retrospective. Ken Hunter. Uh, with Chris Mew of Hawthorne. Ken Hunter was too old. Oh, of course. Sorry. Yeah, he yeah. was already. Yeah. Yep. Mark and goal of the year, both Peter Bazusto. Really? Carlton. Yep. Chess mark over the pack was his mark of the year. And the goal. Uh, he smothered goal against Geelong in the semi-final. In the semi-final. Yeah. 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 Well, is that too late for... Does goal... Oh, apparently not. Apparently not, okay. No, in, in this respect, it's not. Um, because it's like a retrospective thing they did years later. They looked back at all the goals. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. I might be wrong about that. Um, all right, premiership list totals. We've got Carlton with 13... Coming alphabetically before Collingwood oh, with 13. Oh, that stings. Love it. Essendon with 12. Melbourne, 12. Richmond, 10. Fitzroy, 8. 
Geelong 6, Hawthorne 4, South Melbourne 3, North Melbourne 2, Footscray 1, St Kilda 1. Everyone's got at least one. Everyone's got one. You got a best name for us, Charlie? Uh, Yes. Uh, There's a few great ones here. Um, Silvio Faschini, Ripper, uh, Ramsey Boganovic, Tony, you got to tell you got to Bahaja. Bahaja. Great. But I've got to give it to uh, Milan Philetic. Milan Philetic. It just feels yeah, right. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. I like it. Um, some retirees as well, the class of 1981. We've got Francis Burke, 300 games for the Tigers, five flags. Beautiful. Laurie Fowler of Richmond and Melbourne, 189 games, one flag. Not for Melbourne. Kevin Morris of Richmond and Collingwood, 181 games, two flags. Ron Alexander, Fitzroy's captain, 133 games. Gary Colling of St Kilda, 265 games. We've got Neil Bazanko, Jezelenko, 279 games and four flags. flags. Trevor Keogh, two flags. David Mackay, four flags. There we go, he's retiring. Finally. Barry, Barry Armstrong of Carlton. Rob, Bobby McGee, Footscray, Richmond and South. He, got, he took two flags home. Jumping Jack. Came back to finish off his career, 182 yeah. games. Gary Hardiman of Melbourne. Don Scott, another 300-gamer, 302 with three, three flags. flags yeah. Ray Shaw, a bit of the collateral damage of that Collingwood loss, 146 yeah. games. And Ronnie Weirmouth of Collingwood as well, 186 games. Another great retiring class. It is. Well, there we have it. 1981 is done. It's done. Looking forward to catching up and talking more about Sydney. For yes. all those South Melbourne fans out there, we are very excited. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. Lost to break down good. the whole uh, the VFL and the, the and business. how it all worked. So please, um, please stay tuned for that one. We'll, we'll be having that chat in the next week or so, so yep. that'll be out soon. Um, and please give us a like on however you listen to us. It well, helps share, us share us with a friend. Us. Yeah, it helps other people find us. Give us a rating. Um, Check us out on all our socials as well. Yeah, and um, in the meantime, just enjoy looking at your new the new list of your team for 2023 and thinking about how great you're, you're going to be because everyone's <laughs> got a chance at this time of the year. Yeah, the Bombers, we've got a new coach. Yeah, it's the best time. Yeah, no one's lost, no one's won. No one, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't even know. I can't remember what, we, what happened everyone, last year. Everyone's got potential. Last year's forgotten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so until next time, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources they use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.